and then it turned peaceful. <laughs> Let's pray together uh, before this morning's talk. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us uh, through your word this morning. Father, we pray that you would challenge us uh, where you need to challenge us, you would inspire us, uh, where we need to be inspired in our lives, Lord, that you would give us the courage uh, to do that which is right in life. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I want to uh, start by inviting you, uh, in your minds at least, uh, to go back to 1994. Uh, some of you were probably not even born in 1994, um, but go back, let's go back to 1994. And I want you to go to New York City uh, in your heads, okay? And I want you to imagine that there is someone called Rachel. And Rachel uh, is about to get married. And Rachel turns up on her wedding day, but decides in a moment of conscience that she can't go through with it. So Rachel runs away from her wedding, turns to her friend Monica, her best friend, pours out her heart to her because Monica is the only person uh, that Rachel can ever trust. Some people have got it already. <laughs> it took a few more lines at 10 o'clock, but. <laughs> Rachel has no money. Rachel has no job. Rachel has no prospects. Monica's other friends, who are all in their 20s, they aren't much better. Uh, Joey is a struggling actor. Chandler is an executive in statistical analysis and data reconfiguration, and it sounds boring because it is boring. He earned loads of money, but it didn't make him happy. Phoebe is a self-taught musician, kind-hearted, little bit ditzy. Phoebe is also into tree-hugging, literally into tree-hugging. Ross is a paleontologist working at the Museum of Natural History, and later a tenured professor of paleontology at New York University, no less. On paper, he's got it all sorted, but in the space of 10 years, Ross goes through how many failed marriages? Three failed marriages. Nobody takes him seriously. Rachel, Monica, Phoebe, Joey, Chandler, Ross then, they had their problems as we know, but as the song says, they had each other. They were friends, and this friendship through the rough and tumble of life gave rise to that epic 10-year sitcom that we know about called Friends. Now, I was going originally this morning to bring uh, a bit of the music uh, to the song, and uh, I was going to kind of play a snapshot of the first few bars and see if anybody could guess it. Uh, and then I slightly panicked that you all might start singing the song of Friends, and I thought this could be the worst sermon in history. Could be the, we could plummet to the depths uh, of, um, of sermons, so I decided not to. But we're going to think about the lyrics of, um, uh, of this song briefly. So there's a verse in it, verse 2, which many of you will know, maybe even identify with. You're still in bed at 10, and work began at 8. You've burned your breakfast so far, things are going great. Your mother warned you there'd be days like these, but she didn't tell you when the world has brought you down to your knees. And then into the chorus, I'll be there for you, uh, etc. Now, I think Friends, this, this TV program, became so popular and turned into this epic 10-year uh, series because I think like so many uh, TV programs that stand the test of time, they give us this brief but, um, but very sincere and very deep, actually, glimpse into something of the human soul. They give us an intense taste of something that we all long to experience. And in this case, it's that longing in our hearts for a community of friends. 
Because deep within every single human being, deep within our soul, there is a need for meaningful relationships, for meaningful friendships, especially for those times in life when, as the song puts it, it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. And today, as we begin this new Life Group series about life together, we're going to be thinking about the theme of intentional community, and we'll keep thinking about it uh, in our Life Groups this week. And part of what it means to be a member of an intentional community is that we are surrounded by a community of people that we trust, a community of people that we can rely on to help us, especially in times of need, to support us in difficult times, and above all else, a community of people who understand what it is to submit to God's will and to support you through the rough and tumble of life in the name of Jesus Christ. In today's uh, gospel passage, we uh, saw that Jesus understood the importance of having good friends like this in life, especially in those moments of life as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where you are brought to your very knees. So it was approaching the end of Holy Week, and Jesus knew what lay before him. In Matthew, Mark's, and Luke's Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus foretold his death and resurrection three times. Matthew 20, we read uh, Jesus telling his disciples, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So Jesus knew. He knew exactly what lay before him. He understood the physical agony that was to come from crucifixion, the most tortuous death of them all. But Jesus understood something even greater, even more powerful than physical agony. And that was the spiritual agony that was to come from taking upon himself the sins of the world, knowing that at that point, his heavenly Father, with whom he had spent all of eternity since the beginning of time, would have to turn his face away. Now, this is the deepest and the darkest part of Jesus' suffering in the garden at Gethsemane. Yes, he knew he was to be mocked, and yes, he knew he was to be scorned, and yes, he knew he was to be betrayed, and he was going to be deserted, and he was going to be hung from a tree. He knew all of that. But the most painful of all was that he knew that the very fabric of that precious relationship between father and son was to be temporarily torn. So he's in a state of agony. And in his state of agony, he brings three disciples to the garden with him. And he confides in them about his inner turmoil, a reminder to us that when we are in states of turmoil in life, to be surrounded by other people is a great blessing to carry us 
uh, through these moments, these experiences in life. And Jesus says to the three disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, he doesn't just say, I'm burdened. He doesn't just say, it's troubling me. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. To be overwhelmed is not just to be burdened. To be overwhelmed is to be shaken to the very core of who you are. It's that moment when the ground appears to give way beneath you, when you're shaken to your very core. And to get a sense of why Jesus was overwhelmed by the experience that was now becoming real to him, we've got to remember that relationship between father and son from the very beginning of eternity. In the beginning was the Word, we read in John's Gospel, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In other words, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the Word who became flesh and made His dwelling among us, He had for all eternity lived with the Father. But He hadn't just lived with the Father because the original Greek word prose uh, in this passage of Scripture, yes, can be translated as with, but can also be translated as to or toward. So the Word, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, was not just with God since the beginning of time, but He was turned toward God since the beginning of time in a face-to-face fellowship. And that is all he had ever known. All he had ever known was that loving, supportive, adoring, shining gaze of his heavenly Father upon him. And that's why there are lots of references in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, to the idea of blessing being God's face turned towards us. Moses' blessing to the Israelites, the very famous blessing, uh, still sometimes used at baptisms, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. To see the very face of God, God turned towards you, was the highest aspiration and hope among God's people. And in 1 Chronicles 16, we read, glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. And the Psalms repeatedly instruct us to seek his face always. This is the highest, the happiest ambition of any follower of God. And yet, on the other hand, to have the Lord turn his face away from us became the source of the deepest fear and dread. As David writes in Psalm 27, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your anger, uh, your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O my Savior. Now, in his earthly life and ministry, Jesus continually sought the Father's face as he had in heaven since the beginning of time. 
He sought to live in a way that sought the Father's approval and favor. But now, at this unbearable moment, this overwhelming moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He, Jesus Christ, the only one who had never committed a sin in His life, prepared to be made sin for us, to bear our collective sins in his body on that tree. It's little wonder he was overcome, because at that very moment, contemplating the sins of the world that were to be laid upon him, Jesus felt the full horrible weight of the truth spelt out in Habakkuk 1, verse 13. God the Father's eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. So, in looking ahead to this agony, this spiritual agony of what was to come, Jesus understood that the Father, for the first time ever, would have to turn his face away, and that this eternal fellowship, this eternal relationship between Father and Son would have to be temporarily broken. So, yes, he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, because at that very moment, Jesus was staring into the very reality of hell itself. Now, none of us in this room, none of us in this world, none of us in this life will ever, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, have to go through anything nearly as excruciating. There will be moments in life, of course, uh, that are difficult, but we won't ever have to go through what Jesus went through in that Garden of Gethsemane. And that's for one very important reason that we need to remind ourselves of this morning. Because what Jesus was doing, what he was contemplating doing, what he was preparing himself to do on that cross, and then what he did on that cross for us, taking upon himself our sin, taking upon himself God's wrath for our sin, that means that we who trust in him, who believe in him, will never have to go through the agony, the death, and worst of all, the separation from the Father that he went through. Yes, there will be difficult times in our lives. Yes, there will be moments of trial and tribulation and testing. There will be moments of anxiety. There will be moments of isolation. There will be moments when we feel the weight of the world crushing down on our shoulders. And yes, we will all go through a human death in this life. But the key difference is that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that whatever we go through in life, even death itself, God is with us. He will not turn his face away. So as we gather this morning, as the family of God in this place, around this table, we gather to give thanks, to remember that Jesus took our place in an act of almighty love. So we won't go through then what Jesus had to go through, but we will face our own Gethsemane moments uh, in life. 
These are moments when we're in distress, uh, when we are in trouble, when we might feel isolated, when you get that letter from the doctors that gives you the results that you are dreading, when someone turns on you a knife and you feel utterly alone. We will all go through these moments of life. We will go through moments in life where we feel the weight of the world bear down on our shoulders. Gethsemane, which was at the foot of the Mount of Olives, is the Hebrew word for an oil press. It was called that, in fact, because this was the place where the oil was pressed, was squeezed from the fruit of the ancient olive trees that gave the garden its name. So Gethsemane is called that because it's a place of pressure. It's a place of heavy burdens. It's a place of agony. And we all go through these. But in our Gethsemane moments, let us also remember from today's gospel passage that the place where we fall to our knees in agony in life is the place where we meet with our Creator God. When Jesus fell to the ground, he prayed. And his first prayer was this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And we can pray those prayers in life. Of course, we can ask God to deliver us uh, from any terrible experiences that we are going through in life. It's raw, it's earnest, it's honest. Um, look at the Psalms, they're full of prayers like these. We can pray prayers like that to God, our Heavenly Father, and we can be sure that He will hear our prayers. And Jesus cries out to God the Father, begging Him to release Him from the agony He's going through. But the key thing is, and the lesson on which we have to model our lives, is that this is also a prayer of utter trust and of surrender to God's will. Because yes, Jesus says, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet what's his very next words? Yet, not as I will, but as you will. This is the prayer of the ultimate servant. This is the prayer of someone who had the absolute assurance that God's will for his life including death on a cross, was the perfect will for his life. This was the prayer of someone who understood, even in a moment of agony, God's sovereignty over that agony. And I think many of us in the room will understand, will identify with moments of life where we feel that the world is against us, that we have this crushing weight on our shoulders. And yet, and yet, we know that God is sovereign over all. Jesus understood that just as God was to sacrifice him to the cross in order to demonstrate his love for the world, so Jesus had to sacrifice his doubts and his fears and his agonies in order to demonstrate his love of the Father and his trust in the Father. So he prays the second time, and this time he doesn't ask for the cup to be taken, he accepts God's will. If it's not possible, my father, for the cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And he prays a third time. And this time we're told that he simply prayed the same thing. Now this is a reminder to us that in these moments in life, 
that repeated prayer over and over and over again is so important when we have those Gethsemane moments in our lives. And it's so important because prayer draws us to the Father and therefore to the place of strength and courage and trust and ultimately peace. Because we're actually told this in Luke's account, in Luke 22, that Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I've been in tricky positions in life. You've been in tricky positions in life, but none of us has been in a sticky, tricky position in life to the extent that we had drops of sweat, of blood falling to the ground. And the father heard his prayer. And the father sent an angel to strengthen him. And when we cry out to God the Father, he hears us as well. And sometimes he will send us people to help us in our moments of strength, uh, of weakness. Sometimes he will send uh, members of church community to help us. Sometimes he will send complete unbelievers uh, to help us. And you recognize in that moment uh, that God had done something to help you through somebody else. But just as Jesus had an angel sent to him, all of us, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, all of us receive power that strengthens us when we are also on our knees in life. And if you've experienced one of those moments, you'll know all about the power that comes over you when you ask for the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, to guide you, through those moments in life where everything seems so bleak. And if you're here today and you're going through one of those moments uh, in life, then pray to the Father. Pray and pray and pray for a fresh indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Or come to the prayer team uh, after communion and pray for a fresh indwelling of the Holy Spirit that you will have the power and the strength and the peace that you need to go through those moments in life. The other hugely important lesson that we have to take from the Gethsemane story, and this is the lesson that I felt that God was speaking to me as I thought about this, is that when we go through, it's that we cannot go through these things in our own, in life. Jesus took three disciples to the garden with him. He asked them to do something fairly simple. He asked them to keep watch while he went and prayed. The disciples let him down. They fell asleep. The truth is that all friends will let each other down from time to time. We will let other people down, just as other people will let us down. And more often than not, we won't even know we've done it. But note how Jesus did not hold it against the disciples. They let him down 
but he did not bear a grudge. And that is because forgiveness is important in friendships. Forgiveness is one of the elements of glue that holds together a friendship. And if we don't forgive, then we end up being eaten up inside and being robbed of that joy and that peace that is ours in Christ. We will let others down, others will let us down. That is just our nature as human beings. We need to learn to say sorry, and that can be difficult. You can need to have strength to do that. God will give us that strength in prayer if we need to forgive someone or if we need to say sorry to someone. Our friends will let us down. We will let our friends down. But remember this. In Proverbs 18.24, we read, There is a man, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. And that friend is Jesus Christ, who promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. True friendship requires perseverance. True friendship requires sacrifice. We have to go out of our way for our friends. Sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it's a question of eating up lots of our time. But Jesus Christ, the ultimate friend, demonstrated what true friendship means because he demonstrated perseverance and he demonstrated sacrifice, perseverance and sacrifice in Gethsemane and then at Calvary. And his perseverance and his sacrifice was for every single person in this room. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Love one another, because in love is the place of joy. In bitterness, in resentment, in unforgiveness is the place of life gradually eating you up. As he sat in that garden of Gethsemane going over and over in his head the agony of what he had to do, remember that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and for me, his friends. And remember that when he drank that cup of God's wrath for you and for me, his friends, he was able to cry out, it is finished. And because of Jesus Christ, that cup of God's wrath today is empty. And we have everlasting life, joy in all its fullness because of the love of the ultimate servant king. Today, as we gather at this table, we worship him. 
and as his disciples and as his friends, let us submit once more, difficult though it can sometimes be, to his command, love each other as I have loved you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we think this morning, as we turn our eyes to that garden of Gethsemane, and we see the meekness and the majesty of our Savior Christ, 